0: Everybody, welcome back to the Once Bitten Podcast. Or if you're here for the first time, welcome. I hope you are enjoying your trip down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as many of us have done in the past. Preston is one of those guys that's been here for a long time. He came from the well, the military initially, and then got himself fully wrapped up in traditional finance before realizing because he ran the numbers and he did the work did the thousand hours he realized that Bitcoin is the only thing this is the fourth time I think back for Preston love building a relationship with him I hope you guys enjoy the show and he gets pretty pissed towards the end and there's a little surprise in there because I don't think I've ever heard Preston use a swear word before so anyway thanks for coming on brother really appreciate it before you guys uh, get into the interview please make sure you are supporting the show sponsors if you need to stack more sats you all need to stack more sats you can use four companies that have shown support to this show in the u.s swan bitcoin in europe relay and coin corner and globally Hoddle Hoddle. swan have you covered for your dca download the app and get that weekly or daily purchase going and get that just completely automated. You can do the same with Relay through their app. Then if you want a private service, both Swan and Relay offer that for you as well. And Relay can even onboard your business to take a Bitcoin standard. So can Coin Corner. They have merchant accounts set up and it's very easy for you. They'll even ship you a point of sale device to start accepting Bitcoin. So do not delay. You can now start offering another form of payment to your customers and attract a whole new market. Hodl, hodl, are global peer-to-peer, global, global. I say global about 50 times. That's important. So you can change as many fiat currencies as you humanly possible with Hodl, hodl. Find that KYC-free peer-to-peer trade, and you can start using their peer-to-peer lending platform. And they host the Baltic Honey Badger Conference in Riga, which will be taking part, uh, taking place first weekend of September up your privacy skills on your existing stack and any satoshis that you get going forward with wasabi download wasabiwallet.io and try out that coin join service it's something very interesting and something you should be paying attention to if you've not done in the past it's so simple then get yourself a cold storage device a hardware wallet a signing device you can use shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten and the code bitten and get a five percent discount conferences coming up Miami and Prague, BTC-focused proc conferences. going you want to be huge, go and meet your plebs there. Liberty in Our Lifetime, placeholder in your diary, October, mid-October of this year. It is a parallel structures-themed conference put on by the Free Cities Foundation. Go and learn about other parallel structures that are being built out there that is going to help you when we move into a Bitcoin hype a hyper-Bitcoinized world. Orange Peel app, download it. Go straight to the website and use the website to sign up because you'll be able to pay via the Lightning Network. You cannot do that on the iOS or Google Play Store. But get on there and meet your plebs. Enjoy this rip with Preston. We're recording, Lauren. We're recording. With no mutes, no edit, no no pre conversation. Uncle Preston's here. What 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 do you want to ask?
1: Uh, I'm trying to see through what I already asked.
0: Do you do you remember Preston? The last time you were on the show, what question Lauren it asked was, you? It was
2: a helicopter question. That's
0: right. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember
2: what the question was, but I remember it was aviation
0: related. It, it was literally how do helicopters fly? Uh, and oh yeah, we got, yeah. A, little, we got yeah. a little physics lesson, which I'm sure Lauren's going to recount to you right now. Go for it, Lauren.
1: <laughs> no, I don't know. Um, um... Have you ever flown a plane before instead of a helicopter or?
2: -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, when I was stationed in South Korea, we did a, um, we linked up with the air force. So I was army, I was an army aviator. And so we linked up with the air force to, uh, do what were called collective engagements. So, um, what We did is we took some of the Apache pilots and we put them in an F 16, and then we took some of the F 16 pilots and we put them in Apaches. And uh, they have a the the F 16's a single pilot aircraft, um, but they have trainers that have a, a a back seat, uh, in those for like um going out and and doing like uh, check rides and things like that, so. Ah, uh, the Apache pilots got to sit in the uh, in the back seat of the F-16. Um, and then what we did is, we, uh, when we're doing like collective engagements, uh, you have Hellfire missiles on Apaches, and then you have uh, laser guided munitions off of the F-16s. And so we went out to like a test range, and the Apaches would laze, the F-16 would then drop their munition to the to the Apache laser, and then vice versa. Um, where the Apache would, uh, or I'm sorry, the the F-16 would laze. And then the Apache would shoot hellfire missiles to the, uh, to the laser. So, um, when I was in, in Korea, I got to fly in an F-16, even though I'm an Apache guy. Uh, and so we did these cooperative engagements over there. What do you well, think?
0: that, that's, that's cool. <laughs> that sounds like, um, I mean, it sounds like. A lot of fun when you're doing the training stuff. I'm sure it's very different under um, you know, battle circumstances. Yeah, it, it was it
2: was a really interesting experience. I mean, the 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 thing that was really uh different going into like a jet is they're just super fast. You're uh you're able to get around just so quick relative to a helicopter, but was but what's also interesting is the helicopter flies so low to the ground, so like your relative velocity you feel like you're going really fast because you're kind of down in the trees and, and whatnot in a helicopter. And then with like, when I was in the F-16, like we broke the sound barrier and uh, you know, there's just a little bit of a shutter in the aircraft and the guy I was flying with, he's like, all right, well, that's what it feels like to go uh, you know, over Mach one. And it was just kind of like this non-event, you know, and because you're up so high and you're just kind of, there's no relative velocity uh, playing out. Now I will say, When you turn and you're going that fast, like we pulled on our flight, we pulled like seven and a half G's on the flight. And it was like, it felt like your soul was being sucked out of your body because the, uh, because it was just so aggressive, the, uh, the G forces. So you're wearing a G suit, um, which helps keep your blood kind of where it's at in your body. Because if you, if you're not wearing that, you can't pull nearly as many G's without the G suit on.
0: Were well, those guys trying to make the Apache pilots throw up was that the whole game? Or oh, yeah. It... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
2: you know, as far as like passing out like that, didn't uh, that wasn't an issue. But as far as like throwing up like, yeah, I mean, that was pretty standard for anybody who doesn't have a lot of hours mm. in a jet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh and then, and then like I've flown fixed wing with some of my friends, they have planes. And so we go out, we'll fly fixed wing that way. And uh, the, the thing that's hard with a helicopter versus uh, a jet. So like when you're talking jet, the, the reason it's difficult is because everything just happens really fast. Like if you take off and you're not going real far, you're already in the preparation for the approach and the landing and all that. So that can be tricky. And if somebody gives you a change in vector for landing, like you're just moving so quick that that's what makes it difficult. In a helicopter, it's it's difficult to just really kind of maneuver the aircraft until you until you get quite a few hours because you're just dealing with you're dealing with a contraption that doesn't want to fly like if you take your hands off the controls like the the helicopter will just start trying to crash in a jet or a a fixed wing aircraft when you um this this works really well with like a cessna or like a smaller aircraft if you go up to altitude and you would put a control input in like let's say you nose down like 10 degrees and you take your hands off the controls and you, and if you have the the aircraft all trimmed out, you take your hands off the control, the aircraft will just porpoise and try to like level itself and come to equilibrium and just keep on flying. It it wants to fly. So that's a big difference between fixed wing and helicopters. But yeah, those are some of the thoughts. Does that scratch the itch?
1: Yeah, that does.
0: (laughs) You want to learn to fly?
1: Huh? Um, I don't no, know.
0: I don't think I do, Dad. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to need someone to ferry me around.
1: Yeah, well, daddy, I'll have I'm, my own life by then. I'm
0: going to have to learn to fly then.
1: Yeah. All
0: right. Do you then have any you big, ferry Do you have down. any Bitcoin questions for Preston? Um, just ask the usual one.
1: What's your favorite thing about Bitcoin? Yeah,
2: my favorite thing about Bitcoin is uh, this is this is just pretty straightforward. I think it, it makes the world a a place where everybody can compete freely and openly. And there's just, there's no disadvantage to certain demographics, uh, locations around the world. Like it just puts everybody on an equal playing field. Um, the way that the, the way that the world works today is like you have, like if you were watching a sport event, it'd be like one team would show up to a basketball game and the other team shows up to a basketball game and the refs are just making every call for the one team. And it's just so much easier for them to win. And if they shoot and they score, it's like four points for them. Meanwhile, the other team, if they shoot and score, it's like one point for them. That's how the world works today under the the current monetary system. And so what Bitcoin does is it literally makes the game a fair that everybody gets two points. It's not like, the refs are making calls in favor of the one versus the other that it's more advantageous. You're just, everybody's on a, on an equal playing field. And, um, I just think that that's going to be really exciting for the world to, to usher in a game in which it's fair and open. And if you work really hard, um, you're going to be, you're going to get a payoff for that. And it's not like you're just working super hard and you almost feel like you're falling behind the harder you work. Yeah. All right. okay well thanks for your questions
1: okay. yeah thank you for the answers
2: great seeing you again i know i've been doing this for a while because you just keep getting older and like i <laughs> it's like this we, we've we been doing this for
0: a while here daniel <laughs> yeah we have well lauren's been asking questions since she was nine uh yeah it's yeah
1: 12 now So
0: it's flown past mate really yeah. unbelievable it's um, crazy do you okay. enjoy doing it lauren
1: sorry
2: do you enjoy asking the questions
1: yeah, I do. Um, I think it's fun and uh, I think it's fun meeting the other Bitcoiners. The only not fun thing is, is when they, uh, when the Bitcoiners, I interview, go to a conference and they come up to my dad and they're like, oh, hey. I'm just like, oh, hey. <laughs> but I have no, I, I can't remember who that is. Oh,
0: so. th- right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. They come up and talk to you and you, you feel embarrassed that you forget on their names
2: well, well you've so it happens you're talking to a lot of people you're talking to a lot of people and it's and yeah. that can be you know hard to remember all the names i mean it's your dad knows a lot of people that's what happens mm. but you hang in there you keep asking the questions because you know what you ask questions that that your dad and i don't ask that a lot of the times I think a lot of people want to hear those questions that aren't getting asked. So you're doing a great job. And I, I love the fact that you've been doing this. Um, it just adds a whole new you know, dimension to, to the interview process. It's really awesome.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Do you think
0: doing you will recognize Preston if, um, if we meet him in, in Miami, if, if you're going Preston?
2: Oh yeah, I think, I mean, I'll, I'll definitely. Uh, would you recognize me, Lauren? Is that the question? Hmm. What oh. do you think, Lauren?
1: Maybe with the hat on. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you don't oh, even recognize okay. oh, right. him he's I guess I'm wearing a hat then. I got to wear the hat. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I don't
1: know. Well, like, I remember stupid things, basically. I remember little details. Like mm-hmm. I remember a hat, but I don't remember their face kind of thing.
2: Well, I, I, guess I'm wearing, I guess I'm wearing this hat take so that take that coming?
0: hat with you <laughs>
2: <laughs> all right say goodbye yes.
1: Yep, Bye. thank you see
2: uh yeah always fun
1: yep see you in Miami maybe
2: yep yeah oh that'd be awesome yeah you're
0: gonna make it this year mate
2: yeah oh yeah I'm coming down it's so exactly. funny I'm sitting here and I i was like, why is my screen so messed up? And it's the background that I have on the screen. And I'm like trying to make the adjustment here as I'm talking to you. Sorry.
0: <laughs> no, that's okay. You look fine from where, where I'm sitting. Um yeah, it was great to, uh it was great to meet you, albeit briefly uh in Miami last time. So hopefully we'll be able to uh it was just crazy. Um I don't think it's gonna be as big this year, but probably still as busy. Uh and I I realized after the event that I think I missed possibly the best memeable photograph of all time. Oh yeah, when what was that? It was when we were at we were at that barbecue uh, and uh you were there uh with your wife and American Hoddle was there as well. <laughs> and how I didn't think <laughs> to have a picture of the three of you together <laughs> <laughs> and just put that out on Twitter for the plebs to uh, you know use as a meme caption or something <laughs> like that. With Preston, you know what's so funny? So I tell you. and your actual wife.
1: No, <laughs> so I've got to.
2: I've got to tell a little bit of an inside story here on that okay. event. Okay. So when I replied to to him, I almost said his name. Um, it, I immediately texted them and I was like, dude, this is gonna be hilarious. <laughs> so I'm sorry to like break the news to everybody, but like uh, But for those we, hang we on, talk, let's do this. We justice. talk privately, we are good friends. And I, uh,
1: it's <laughs>
0: it, it's so funny. It's still one of the best Bitcoin Twitter moments of all time. Yeah. Uh, so for those people that aren't actually aware of what we're talking about, and we'll probably get into macroeconomics and all that kind of stuff later, but let's talk about the fun stuff first of all. <laughs> <laughs> what went down tell tell the plebs what went down for those people that are not aware of this you know th- this golden moment in bitcoin's so, history so uh
2: one one of my nieces came on uh twitter and um uh, so she came on twitter and i said hey kelly welcome to welcome to twitter and uh i almost said his name again uh american hodl jeez oh man i'm gonna get myself in trouble american hodl uh he goes, Hey, Preston, your wife's hot. <laughs> and so, uh, I re I replied, it's not my wife, it's my daughter. And, um, yeah, the rest is history and everybody just got a real kick out of it. And, um, behind this, like I said, behind the scenes, I, I texted him and I said, uh, this is, you know, I'm not going to say anything else. This is all I'm saying. And, and, uh, oh my God, we got a real hoot out of the whole thing. And I think everybody else did as well. So,
0: that's the real story. it was the best. it was the absolute best <laughs> uh so yeah, I missed that moment um I, I and i I was kicking myself for uh for weeks afterwards thinking that would have just been like <laughs> God knows where people could have taken that. I told my wife about it too, and she just she just rolled
2: her eyes. she's like like, th- yeah, th- these are just imaginary, like internet people that you're yeah. <laughs> talking to all day. She's like, ah, you know, I don't get it, but I'm sure everyone thought it was
0: hilarious. And just, <laughs> I, I, you probably have the exact same kind of conversations that I have with my wife when she just rolls my eyes when I'm telling her yeah, about some like... crazy thing that's going on in Bitcoin, and I'm all animated, you know, like the classic meme where the guy's got all of the the things on the board behind him, and he's like pulling <laughs> exactly. his hair out trying to explain. It. <laughs>
2: <laughs> exactly, just like, well, sweetie, I'm sure you're I'm sure you're having fun online with all your your friends absolutely, <laughs> all right, well, what's been going on, man? what's been keeping you busy? uh I guess i I would describe myself right now as just a little frustrated, like just bored and frustrated uh we're for people that are listening to this whenever you're listening to it it's February end of february twenty twenty three and just uh, it's exhausting, you know, like we've been in a bear market. I, I would, I like to think the bottoms in, but you know, I can't say that with much confidence, uh, at least for Bitcoin. Um, but I think that, uh, I would say we're under attack. I think that Bitcoin specifically is, is being attacked by the big banks, by, uh, the, the global call it the WEF type organizations, uh, the BIS, um, all these big entities, I think they're coming. I think they are in a war with us. And I think a lot of people maybe in Bitcoin are, would, would maybe say, Oh, I don't know that we're actually in the fight right now. Like I think the fight's coming, but I don't know that we're in it. I think we are in the fight <laughs> right now, aggressively in the fight. And, um, And you know, Bitcoin just has to keep doing what it's doing. I I don't think that there's anything to be concerned about from that perspective. I think that um, you know they're battling something that just you know they cut the the neck and uh, it's a hydra. It just grows another two. Um, So, but it, it it's a grind and it's a little frustrating to see them kind of i say them like all the central banks controlling these fiat currencies over the past year i'd say they've been they've been really kind of battling back the line of uh the bitcoin battle so um it's a little frustrating to to take one step back but i think it's going to lead to more than two steps forward for us might lead to like five steps forward uh whenever they they finally have to give up the attack that they're on
0: do you oh, see I this? Think... Is that did you, you see this kind of like crypto lockdown as this is their um their play right now? Oh, yeah, uh, I, and I think, each I think... week there's going to be a new announcement and then another yeah. new announcement, and just hoping that that's going to break the back of it all without understanding that they're yeah. never going to break the back of Bitcoin? They might suppress the price, they might shake a few people out, uh, they might sneak a few regulations in in some certain jurisdictions, but we know. Uh, you know, the, the the truth. I mean, the FTX uh, mm-hmm. debacle, like all of this
2: stuff. Um, you have uh, the core devs getting sued um, in all these different jurisdictions around the world. I th- I would guess that a lot of this is maybe more coordinated than we might think. Um, but that's maybe me with just a tinfoil hat. um because I mean, at the end of the day, when you look at the major central banks that are controlling the fiat currency, it's all the G seven type countries that have that have the most to lose uh, under this legacy system. And uh, when you look at how they how they try to get things done, it's in a very passive aggressive, like indirect kind of way in the way that they act. Um, and I mean, the fact that you have the what is his name, Carlson, the the head of the BIS. Um, come out and say that they won the war against cryptocurrencies literally. I think it was yesterday. Uh, this is the guy that looks like uh Jabba uh, the Hutt. <laughs> Job of the Hut. And um just so people know who I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, I think everybody now knows who I'm talking about with that reference, but uh, you know, like the fact that they're that they're naming what they're up against tells you how scared they are of losing what they have um i just can't imagine what the inside of these global enterprises like the bis the imf the world bank like what that what what that actually looks like like and how and how much of a luxury it would be to be a kingpin or somebody operating inside of these these global entities in switzerland and having like uh you know all these luxuries legal luxuries to do whatever the heck they want and they're so well funded that they can just do you know they can they can have a conference anywhere they want they can travel anywhere they want they can fly in g5s they can do all sorts of crazy stuff and they're scared to death to lose that and so i think if you could peek behind the curtain of the opposition that we're up against I think it would really surprise a lot of people how how coordinated and how uh undermined it, a lot of it is and clear down to like jamming our communications on Twitter and all sorts of stuff. So um yeah, I think I think we're in a major fight and I think that uh and and I'm here for it. Like hmm. <laughs> this wouldn't be awesome what we're doing if if there wasn't some type of you know like when you watch a really good movie like the last thing you want to watch is like somebody who just like crushes it the whole movie and there's like no struggle at all right like in the middle of the movie any any great movie in the middle it you almost think that the the person you're rooting for or the side that needs to win is there's no way they could possibly win and that they're down in in the in the dumps and there's no way that they're ever going to have their their montage and, and come out on top um i think that's kind of where we're at right now in this in this fight. I
0: think that, uh, I think, I think we're getting ready for some exciting times here in the coming five years. It's, it's funny you bring that up because I'm on the exact same page as you. And the, the reason being, um, I'm reading two books at the moment, listening to one, reading the other, uh, all about these organizations. Um, and unfortunately for us, they, they have staying power. They have a low time preference when they, they come to, uh, putting these things into um, implementation. And the the one book that's just been blowing my mind is called uh, The Secrets of the Federal Reserve by Eustace Mullins. Uh, it's a hmm. short read. If you haven't read it, Preston, my my goodness, um, Ray Youssef put me onto this one. Uh, and, um, you know, he, you got to love say it. The when, name, say the name one more time. Daniel, I want to put it. Eustace it. Mullins is the name of the author and if you go to his wiki uh it tells you what a crazy kind of uh conspiracy theorist he is and uh mental madman and so you mm. you like those kind of things right oh he's been cancelled by his mainstream media i wonder what he wrote yeah and that book the secrets of the federal reserve is incredible and i'm also reading the tower of basel by uh yeah. adam Labor. that's a good one yeah and i haven't read the secrets of the federal reserve i'm I'm
2: putting it in my very very right <laughs> underread. It,
0: it's like um, it, it's better, I would say, than uh, the creature from Jekyll Island. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. so you're gonna love it.
2: Okay, yeah, no, I I I love the the secret or the the Jekyll Island book. I read it a long time ago, but uh, yeah, I, anything that you can that you can read that just kind of defines how this amorphous blob of central banking tries to operate or, or mm-hmm. operates is is value add as far as
0: i'm concerned and where it all came from and how they put it all together and when they actually started trying to implement it i mean their first shot at um the central bank uh was um alexander hamilton mm-hmm. that so it took them over a hundred years to finally yep. get it in uh you know in 1912 back end of 1912 um no 1913 it's Christmas 1913. Yeah, it it goes into all of those details and then it makes you realize to your point as what you were just saying you know what and who are we actually facing here and how mm-hmm. far deep down the rabbit hole have they gone themselves do they know it's inevitable and have they and how do they stop it if they know they can't what do they? What barriers do they throw up in the way just to slow the thing down? Because the ultimate, the only thing they can really do now is the CBDC.
2: Yeah. Well, and that doesn't solve it. Like that doesn't that doesn't help their cause. If anything, it might accelerate uh, movement to Bitcoin. Um, because it doesn't fix the 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 scarcity piece with CBDCs. Mm-hmm. So, like, they can do that. They can go, and that is the next uh, route. All they're going to do is they're going to over, they're going to overuse the tool by putting duration to the money, uh, really turning the, I shouldn't even say money, the the currency, what they're going to do is they're going to overuse the, the duration and say, the coupon's only good for 30 days. You got to go spend it immediately. And what that's going to do is people are going to really realize at that point that, What they're working for is not actually something that's storing and preserving any of their energy that they're expending. Like they are, they're being totally duped. They're being turned into debt slaves. They're they're being uh, manipulated. I I think it's just gonna it's going to make that even more obvious, especially in the face that like Bitcoin's not going away, and so then you're gonna have these Bitcoiners that are storing their energy uh, in Bitcoin, and it's not getting debased and it's not getting uh, there is no duration on you have to spend it in 30 days, right? And um that's gonna be that's gonna just make it all the more obvious. So yeah, bring it on.
0: Now, did I see a tweet from you the other day? I'm just trying to put this up. About hundred million downloads on your um podcast. Yeah,
2: we hit yeah, we hit hundred million downloads uh a couple months ago. Um, but yeah. Congrats, man. pretty cool. That's, yeah, that's thank huge. you.
0: it's a little surreal and i remember last time we spoke it was just about the time you you were pivoting into doing the bitcoin only side of the uh -hmm. of the pod so how's that been going mate what what's um what's been going on behind the doors for you it's For me
2: personally, it's been great because it's a little hard for me to have conversations about equity valuations when in my brain, I'm looking at every single unit of account from a Bitcoin term. So it's hard for me to create media around something that uh, when you go far enough upstream, like it's just, it's, I don't want to say it's a waste of my time, but when I'm looking at it, I was like, I can't even entertain the conversation Mm -hmm. because I, I have this thing blinding me in the eye that, um, you know, when I'm looking at their books and I'm looking at their balance sheet and I'm looking at their income statement, and then I re it into, into Bitcoin and I use that for my trend line, well, they're all going down and they're all misvalued. And so like, it, <laughs> I just can't even have the conversation. Um, but I, I do also understand why a lot of people aren't there yet. They're still kind of, uh, their unit of account is the U S dollar and and they're going to value companies that way. And that's fine. Like they, (laughs) you know, we'll let time be the judge of as to who was uh, making the correct valuations and the, and the correct units of account to, to make those valuations. Um, But yeah, for me personally, it's been really nice to just kind of focus on this area as an engineer. It's really nice too, because there's always so much going on and uh, software engineering was probably always my weakest, uh, In engineering and so with bitcoin it's forced me to really try to dig in and try to understand things that were outside of my comfort zone um so it's just been it's been all and it's not just software engine i mean there's so much on the mining side like i talked to a guy the other day who's who's heating his, his entire house with mining rigs and they're immersed in oil and he's using that to i mean it's just fascinating so for me, it's like i I'm a pig in mud because I'm dealing with finance, I'm deal- dealing with engineering. Um, you know, I I love it. I I wouldn't want to be doing anything else with my life than than this stuff. It's it's
0: really exciting. I was gonna ask you what rabbit holes you're being pulled down recently, because we find this as Bitcoiners, right? Especially facing Bitcoiners as often as we do and talking to as many different people. And I love having just no name plebs on the show, and people pull me down all of these different learning avenues one guy mm-hmm. came on the show talking about uh flush niacin uh nicotinic acid and, mm-hmm. and going down that that health route where are you getting what are you getting drawn to and what are you mm. resonating with and that is changing you you know because this is what bitcoin does to us um hmm not really anything out of the ordinary. I mean, it's
2: been a lot of the same stuff I've been really kind of focusing on my, my son's robotics team. <laughs> to be <honest> with you. <laughs> so, uh, you know, um, you know, stuff like that, that that's going on with, with my kids, I'm, I'm kind of more focused on that. Maybe it's because we're in this deep bear market. That's kind of just like, I'm just going to focus on other things because uh, it's just a little easier to, to go through it, and, and I'm a little just bored with the with the with the market action. Um, the price hasn't really been too volatile, and there's not really too much happening. It's it's almost like the the tightening cycle is coming to a head, and it's like it's got to figure itself out. And I'm just like, just break already. Just ha- let's have the capitulation and let's move to the next phase of the cycle. And it just keeps hanging on. And I guess I'm a little frustrated with that. So I'm just continuing to like sit here and twiddle my thumbs. Uh, uh What else would I say on that front? Um, I, I'm really fascinated by the AI stuff right now. I will say that.
0: Okay. Um,
2: yeah. Uh, yeah. I've been reading these books by David douche. Who's like this Oxford, uh, you know, physicist, uh, theoretical physicist and some of his stuff on, uh, that, how it relates to AI and how, uh, uh, Sam Altman, uh, you know, had some conversation with this guy and I hadn't read any of his stuff. And I was like, wow, this guy's an interesting guy to kind of study. Uh, I know he's, uh, a lot of people might have some opinions about Sam and whether what he's doing is good or bad and all that, but, uh, regardless regardless of that i think it's really fascinating what's happening on the ai front and i saw him talking about this theoretical physicist and and how uh quantum computing is only possible with like this multi-world theory kind of thing and i was just like all right let me read up on this and just try to get myself smart and some of the books have been really fascinating so i've been reading those the last couple months
0: have you played around with the chat gpt thing
2: oh yeah yeah Uh, so this is really interesting so um, with Noster, I'm there trying to run my own relay. My, like I said, is software (laughs) engineering, like I'm a disaster. (laughs) And, um, so I'm trying to run my own relay and I'm getting all this help from so many people that are experts in the stuff. But I mean, I'm literally tapping into, uh, a a VPN or I'm sorry, a, a virtual private server, a VPS, uh, over terminal and writing on command line to like code this thing up. And, and I mean, everything is templated. I have a checklist, literally, I'm just following the checklist and I'm doing it and I can't get the thing to work. And so I'm logging into my chat GPT account. And I was like, Hey, this is the error message I'm getting in terminal. I don't know what to do. And it, and it's replying back and it's saying stuff like, Oh, well you didn't create, you, you put the files in the root folder. You need to create a user account and it needs to do this. And then like, I just reply back. I don't know how to create a user account. How do I do that? And it's, and it's just step one, do this, step two, do that. So then I do it and then that worked. And then I got the next error. And it was like, and, and the way that I'm like phrasing it in the chat GPT was fascinating because I'm like, this is my next error. It's like all I write and then I copy and paste the error in there. And then it's responding back almost like a human would. And it's saying, oh, the your next issue is you didn't do X, Y, and Z. Here are the steps to, to perform that. And so then I went and did that and it got me to the next step. I'm just the the back and forth and it's understanding of like where I was at in context to my previous questions was kind of a mind blowing experience for me to be quite honest with you. Um, I also find it fascinating for research purposes. So like uh, with all the central banking stuff, you could say, Hey, give me, give me an example of like whatever, and it'll pump it out. And you'll say, give me some sources, give me some books where that idea exists. And then it'll give you five books. And then you could say, give me a quote from book number one that you just listed that addresses the, the topic that I was originally asking. And then it'll give me one or two quotes and I'll say, give me, give me 10 more quotes. and It'll give me 10 more quotes from that particular book. And so like, if you're doing research or you're writing a book or something like that, like this is revolutionary for just like, I just can't imagine the amount of time people would spend even trying to find a resource and then finding the quote or finding something that supports what they're looking for to back up whatever they're trying to prove, like it's. Uh, and these are early, early days, evidently, from what I'm being told, because I guess the next version of, of ChatGPT is supposed to be a thousand x where this one is. So I don't know where this all leads, but um, from a time standpoint, uh, like from a coding standpoint, I just don't know how. The deflationary aspects of some of this. Like, I I just don't, I can't imagine
0: where this is taking us in the coming five years. I've not played around with it yet, but listening to you explain it like that, that sounds way more interesting than some of the things that I've seen people playing around with on on Twitter. Uh, And of course, you've got the naysayers out there saying it's a a centralized PSYOP that's collecting all of our data. Um,
2: (laughs) Well, I think there's a huge concern there because. If you can peek into the questions of a person's mind, mm-hmm. you can really learn a whole lot about them personally, um, which I think is is uh, concerning for something that's centralized. When you look at how the test data on things like this uh, work, like the best AI is going to be the one that has access to the largest training set and data set. Um, and in addition to how it's organized the architecture and how it's like ingesting all that into it the the synthetic neurons and all that kind of stuff but um i think there's a there's a huge concern there's a huge concern at the at the best way to train it is you have to have access to as much data as possible so like being competitive with china on the ai front um maybe a really difficult thing for western uh companies that are more i don't want to say decent What's what's the word? I'm looking more compartmentalized. Uh, when you're looking at just public companies here, where in China the government has total access to every single per every single piece of data that's being created. Um, so I think they they've got an advantage in that aspect. Uh, and I mean, whoever comes up with the best AI, like I I don't know where that leads us. You know, from a from a global point of view. Um, so I think there's huge concerns here, but what are you going to do about it? Right. I think that's the important question in, in that discussion is okay. So, so what? Yes, it's dangerous. Yes. It's scary, but so what, like, what can you actually do about it? Stop it. Are you going to stop it? Well, from a global perspective, you're sure as hell not. Uh, maybe in your local jurisdiction, you will. Um, and so then what does that do to you in the long run? If you go ahead and stop the, the progress of technology, anytime you try to stop technology in air quotes, um, it really hasn't been too beneficial. So I guess maybe this is a similar situation, but I don't know. Um, I think the control of media in general, and this is why I am so excited about Noster and why I think it's so important, is just the it truly is a platform for free for free and open speech that, that does not exist right now. People might think that they have free and open speech, but that's because they're not saying uh, things that uh other people are saying and they probably don't have the influence of other people that have been banned and, and uh shut down. So um, but the, yeah, these platforms as, as everybody has seen like Twitter and Facebook and whatnot, and it's, and it's real simple, like why this is happening. If the big banks need inflation to remain low so that they can have all their isu- their credit issuance, not get, get blown up, right. Uh, because they've compressed rates down to nothing the big banks have to ensure that that remains the foundation of global finance is that that doesn't blow up. The big banks own or or have the majority of shares on all of these platforms. So if if there's speech that's coming out that potentially disrupts their ability to to sustain that control of these credit and, and the foundation of global finance, if there's things being said that they don't like, um, they have all the power because they sit on the, on the boards of these companies, uh, up until Elon buying Twitter. And that's why that's such a big deal is because, uh, you know, Jack owned Twitter, but from a control standpoint, he didn't have a majority of the voting rights, not even close, uh, the black rocks, the vanguards, the big banks had all the voting rights of these media distribution mechanisms. And so they exercised their voting rights in the way that they controlled the speech that was happening on the platforms that fit whatever agenda that they're trying to control. And it's all about control and it's all about order. Um, I actually like the word order better than control because um that's they just don't want change, right? They they want to continue to sit at the at the top of the hierarchy and they want the 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 foundation of value in the world, which is debt and credit, to remain stable and organized and not disorganized. And so they got to control the speech and they gotta they got to make sure that the message that that uh, supports their desires is the only thing that's spread by high influential accounts. So here comes no- uh, Noster. We finally figured out a way and I, I say we, and I shouldn't say we. There's a few people that figured out a way to decentralize uh, free and open speech in a way that the state can't, can't step in and, and censor it and stop it and prevent you from saying what you need to say. But it's going to take time for um, the population to uh, figure that out. I'm a little concerned about just like the technical uh, aspect of creating an account and getting set up. I've helped a few family members and friends set up their account. And it's interesting because I guess when I'm setting it up, I just don't see, I I see it to be easy breezy, like super simple to get set up there. But like they're looking at their username and it's like this hexadecimal, like like this really long uh, ones and zeros and letters and just doesn't make any sense. And then their passcode looks exactly the same to them. And they're just like, well, what is this? Like, how am I, How am I supposed to uh, send you a message like I do on Twitter press? And I was like, oh, well, you just go here and you copy this big, long username. And then you put an at symbol and they're just looking at me like,
0: nobody's going to use this.
2: So I think there's some concerns there with just like the technical piece that like Bitcoiners, I think, look at it and they just see it as very intuitive and simple to understand. But I think for your general population, I think it's it's a bit of a technical hurdle initially. And I think some of that stuff can be overcome with just the, uh, the sheer amount of uh, free and open market. Because uh, that's what you get with this is you have all these different client providers that can come up with easier ways to do things. And it's not just Twitter, uh, you know, engineers. You literally have the whole world trying to solve these problems. And when a great idea that makes it more, the, the user interface easier to use, uh, everybody can adopt that and can and can leverage uh, what they're seeing other people do. So I think that's exciting. Um, I think one of the things that's going to help usher in people moving over there, to, despite some of the technical barriers to entry, um, are the, 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 the sats that are being zapped around as likes. And so what what's really interesting on that is you now have scarce likes that people can identify and you get this whole nother filtering mechanism for like useful, shares and content that people are generating uh that will help uh people sort through the noise and find the signal in messages around the world that are being shared um but yeah those are some of my ideas on it
0: yeah i've i a pleb helped me out big shout out to nathan day um because like you say it's not simple getting on there um Mm -hmm. bitcoiners are definitely ahead of the game because we're we're used to this idea of uh um, public and private keys uh, but still yeah I needed help and uh, he was good enough to walk me through it only took 30 minutes or so and, and on I got there and then the other thing I think um, is going to halt people going over or, or give them a little bit of hesitancy is that uh, the, the following that they might have already built up on Twitter uh, mm-hmm. and then to go to Nostra and you're back at zero like oh really i've got a i've to yeah get... yeah and you especially what do you, you have on twitter god knows how many hundreds of thousands of, uh, of followers a lot of that is probably noise rather than signal but still you know that this is that's a sunk cost fallacy fallacy i suppose uh, when when yeah, you try trying... I, I agree with you i think
2: for i guess for, for me it was extremely easy cuz i just i see twitter as a total cesspool at right. this point <laughs> i really do like it's <laughs> it's when I log on there and I spend 15 minutes on Twitter, I leave depressed and Mm. like not feeling like myself after that 15 minute experience on Twitter. I, I really don't enjoy going on Twitter. Um, and since Noster has been enabled, which I, I got on Noster just a little bit before Christmas. Um, I have whatever time and energy I've spent on Twitter has just been completely direct, redirected to 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 noster interesting um, yeah i i it's i guess the, the the follower thing is a little meaningless to me I, like i i obviously it's important for a media company to to have, have that, that to distribute the content that they create and all that kind of stuff but i guess i just i just looked at it and was like the it, the comments here are uh are kind of a, a a lot of the comments, not all of them, but a lot of the comments are just so brain dead that you see being made. I don't even know if they're bots or they're like real people, but um, or whether like our our accounts are being jammed because we're bitcoiners and you got all these bots just like dropping stuff in there and it's just senselessness. But when I went over to Nostra, it was the polar opposite. Like I can tell immediately they're all real people, they're candid comments. If people disagree with you, it's it's done in like somewhat respectful way. And but you can tell they mean what they say. And there's a real engagement happening there. So if I have a thousand followers over there and I'm having real engagement, I am personally, I find that really valuable because uh, as an investor, like the most important thing that I can do is, is have my ideas, troubleshot and, and see counter opinions that are valuable and real and having real conversations where I'm, I just don't feel like I get that on Twitter. I feel like I just get a bunch of nonsense at this point. So, um, now if you're a person who, who puts a lot of weight personally in their status or whatever, by how many people follow them, well, uh, yeah, I think it is going to be a hard transition for people to start over if they've built some type of account. Um, and, and I suspect that's probably a lot of people probably do feel that way. Um, now they have tools. I saw one tool that somebody came up with that, like when you open an, Nostra account, You provide your Twitter handle and it'll look at all the people that uh, somehow it's using some database where people have published their pub keys on Twitter and it's able to say, here's the list of all the people you followed on Twitter, Mm -hmm. add them all, just click add all and it'll add all those people. Uh, And so that's a quick way to refollow the people that you were maybe following on Twitter, which might be a little bit of the barrier to entry. But what you're describing is a little bit more on the follower side, which can't be addressed because the person has to refollow you on the new platform. Now, uh, one thing that's great with this is if you find a client that you like, let's say three years later, I'm, I'm sick and tired of Damus and I want to use a different client. I can just switch right over to that client and all of my past content, all the people that I followed and and the people that followed me, it's all there. I can just switch over to a new client. So, um, that's going to be really powerful. It's going to take time though. It's going to, it's definitely going to take time.
0: It's, uh, what am I using here on my, cause I'm on an Android. So I've got amethyst at the moment is the thing oh, okay. that I've, yeah. yeah. Um, but I'm going to come and uh, I'm going to come and find you. I just seen I didn't even you.
2: know you were, I didn't know you were on there. Let me see. Am I following you on there?
0: No, I, I think we got to connect with each other. I've just seen your profile though. You've got your, um, your NOSTA public key pasted in there. So I'll, I'll go find it, uh, once we're done and uh, we'll connect. And then we don't yeah, have to, I, uh, DM each other just, on Twitter. It's so powerful. Like I
2: just, um, I'm very excited about it. I just wish the world would would be able to figure it out quicker, and kind of migrate over there because, um, I think it's only going to get weirder from the censorship standpoint. Like people think that the censorship thing has been bad to mm-hmm. date. Like I don't think we've seen anything yet. Like I don't think we've seen anything yet because as uh- as as the credit markets and everything start blowing up more than they've all au- than they're. Than they already are which i think that's at the infancy stage of what's brewing as that gets worse and and as that gets more uncontrollable you're going to see the need for the big banks and these global conglomerate organizations to have to control the speech um so um, the fact that Nostr and Bitcoin have emerged out of this last decade of of like trying to control the the long term credit cycle explosion that's that's underway um, should come as no surprise. And um, you know, I think in three to five years, there's going to be events that happen on the censorship side with with respect to social media that's going to drive adoption to Nostr, and it's it's going to. Um, it's going to drive adoption to Bitcoin too, because they're, they they work hand in hand. Yeah, I mean, it's I, it's I, the I, most I, fundamental things, Daniel. It's free yeah. and open speech, free and open money, free and open commerce amongst participants of a global economy. Um, there's nothing more important, and I I don't take this statement lightly. There's nothing more important in our lifetimes than making sure that these two things are successful. Truly
0: is this the start of the pendulum swinging back the other way is, you know, have the incumbents just overreached so far that this is, Mm -hmm. this is it now? Yeah.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think it is now has the pendulum peaked out Mm. like, right like if the pendulum's swinging mm-hmm. it's decelerating as it's going up <laughs> yeah. and then it hits zero and then it starts spinning the other way uh or, or yeah falling the other way so what i would say is we're in the decelerative period mm-hmm. when you get to a when when you get to bitcoin at parity with global fiat you're at zero <laughs> okay and then it starts swinging the other way so Is the pendulum going to swing the other way right now? No, Mm -hmm. Uh, it's still swinging hardcore in the the direction of the legacy system. But I, I definitely think it's starting to decelerate. And I think that the world is slowly starting to wake up to the reality that this thing's about to swing the other way.
0: And that makes you wonder then about the whole Elon takeover of Twitter, because it was such a weird one. You know, th- that wasn't just a cut and dry M&A acquisition. There's something going on behind the scenes there, which, you know, if you, again, put your tinfoil hat on, there's someone behind him, backing him, uh, now has complete control of that platform. Um,
2: I think it was a very strange situation. I think that... Uh... You know, uh, you could make the argument that Twitter was was captured by left leaning political uh, entities and mostly through the banking system is, is how it was captured. Now, I think you could make the argument that it's captured on the right side um, through the Peter Thiel kind of uh, um, Elon leaning, you know, entities. I use that extremely lightly because I think both are equally corrupt and, and manipulated. And uh, like, if you're seeking any type of salvation in in a political affiliation, you're not understanding what's happening here, because both both sides are fighting for control of the fiat printing press, and and, and also seeking order. Through the through the printing press, and that last part is the important part. They are seeking order because they don't want disruption because they sit at the top of the of the pecking order, um, and so what it is is it's really narrative control by each of these political sides. Is just how can they spin the narrative that whatever they're they're doing from a control standpoint, and stepping in and manipulating markets and free speech and all that kind of stuff that that fulfills the narrative of these left and right leaning people that are seeking salvation in them. Um when in fact the the you know the the only way that this gets solved is by allowing creative destruction to actually happen in the free and open markets and not manipulating the the currency units in in the I'm going to call it a game, but it's not a game. Um, and so it's really hard for people to wrap their head around that because I think it hits on so many different areas of expertise, and you have to not fall victim to uh, political bias and uh, buying into the narratives that are being spread and propagated to fit the their desire for order.
0: Now, if we if we keep an eye on uh, companies, publicly listed companies, August twenty twenty. Is when we had the big bombshell. Microstrategy came out. Michael Saylor with his um, announcement. Have you been surprised that the you know the the lack of uptake from other companies in that two and a half year period since he announced and then doubled down and re, redoubled down and went harder and harder no. and harder.
2: No, but here's why. So when we look at companies that get news coverage. It's typically publicly traded companies. Publicly traded companies are owned by Wall Street. And they're owned by Wall Street because of ETF baskets um, and passive investing pretty much across the board. So because these, these people running these companies don't actually control the voting rights and aren't the founders and control the equity, and it's all been distributed through all these ETF vehicles and then all the big banks sit on the boards. That's why you're not having decisive action uh, being made like Michael's decisive action um, because, you know, at the end of the day, the people leading the com- the companies, the CEOs, they're employees. <laughs> they're employees that are being hired by the board and the board is a bunch of Wall Street banks. Um, and the last thing they want to do is rock the boat with some type of uh, aggressive and out of the box thinking. They just want to fit in and have uh, returns that are kind of on par with other companies in their sector. And as long as they do that, they're going to continue to get their you know, million dollar a year salary as the CEO of the company. So you're not going to see decisive action like you saw with Michael. Now, in Michael's situation, he had a lot of the voting rights. He has a lot of control on what's happening with the board because he created the company and he's never sold. He's probably one of the the oldest operating founders, CEOs of a billion dollar enterprise in America. Um, So that's why you're seeing it different. If we could peek into private companies and what they're doing, I think you'd see a lot more Bitcoin uh, sitting on balance sheets in private companies. Uh, But they don't get the news coverage that the publicly traded ones get because most people can't buy their equity. So they're just kind of like not there in the grand scheme of the public eye.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And it makes me, um, well, it's more bullish on Bitcoin, right? Because that's more Bitcoin, if your hunch is correct, that's more Bitcoin in the so-called, in air quotes, uh, little guys, rather than the, uh, the behemoths, yeah. the incumbents.
2: Yeah. So I if mean, it- if you're going to go through a real reset, if you're going through a real reset, it should be intuitive that the small guy and the one at the bottom is the one who's going to benefit the most in, in that reset. If you do a reset and the people that were in control just gain re they regain control, you're not getting a reset. You're just getting a different, a different thing in name and you're not, you're not being able to, to move forward. Um, so when I see things like that and it just reinforces what nature and reality demonstrate over and over again, throughout history, I'm saying everything lines up. Everything is continuing to make sense that G7 countries should be the last ones to get it and understand Bitcoin. And the rest of the population in you name it, country that's unbanked should be the ones that figure this out first, should be the ones that benefit the most, should be the ones denominating uh, you know, their exchange in Satoshis. It, if, if it was the other way around... And it was the G7s figuring it out and the ones benefiting, and like they were just kind of left in the dust. I would be suspect of what it is this is all about.
0: And th- I mean, that's a perfect segue there to Gladstein's piece on the IMF and the World Bank, mm. right? I know you've yes. done an interview with him. I've got one locked away that I've got to drop probably next week uh, because he started hitting everybody about the same time. So I'm just trying to um, drag it out a little bit to keep the. To keep the signal very, very high, because I think that's one of the best pieces in the space that I've read in, in many years, to be honest. It it was just a truly outstanding essay, book, whatever you want to call it. Um, where he to your point right there, we like is the developing again in air quotes, or the underdeveloped or the, the held down nations that are going to get this
1: mm-hmm.
0: and escape from uh, it's this idea of the pendulum again
2: yeah yeah so like you look at el salvador they figured it out mm. they they figured it out they they figured out that the imf and world bank uh you know in in concert with each other are just enslaved further enslaving as time marches to the right every one of these countries that they go into because their debt burden just gets higher and higher as they roll the debt and there's no way that you can possibly pay it off. And so when they roll the debt, the IMF rolls back in and they just say, okay, well, well, we can fix this issue you have. We're gonna lower your interest rate. We're gonna give you even more money. The burden's even larger now, but you have to only focus on this particular enterprise. And so what it does is it, is it you know, it creates a plastic economy, a fake economy and um, everything around that local economy goes into producing that one thing. Well, you can't have a forest with just pine trees in it. (laughs) It don't work. The pine trees can't survive if they're the only thing in there. Um, And I'm using that as an example, and I'm not a forestry expert, but I'm, I'm using it as an example that like in nature, you have to have a mix of plants and species in order to make it a healthy environment when you strip all that out and you say this is the only thing you're going to focus on you're going to have some fat cat that rises to the top they're going to get their cut and then everybody else is going to turn into a slave uh, worker in that economy to support that one thing um it's it's not naturally occurring and this is what the imf and world bank do when they go around and they create these synthetic economies and um and, and to break out of that, that do loop of indebtedness that they continue to set up is extremely difficult. It takes extreme bold leadership and it takes leadership that, that just because they moved to this, like, I think El Salvador is a perfect example of their adoption was really poorly timed. And that's not, it's not a dig against them. It's just a, a function of where we were at in the market cycle where they've been enduring with this down Bitcoin price since kind of their announcement, mm-hmm. and and how hard would that be for the for the leader of El Salvador to to stand in front of this thing that he stood up as as a legal tender in his country when the price is is acting the way that it is and against the dollar? I think that's important too. Um, but that just shows you how hard the decision is. Is is really my point is the bold decision in the face of something that has 80% annual volatility against the dollar let alone their own local currencies um is is a very difficult thing for them to break out of and uh you know if, if you can do it and you can do it successfully and you kind of get your timing right um and they can move away from the IMF which i think uh, El Salvador is demonstrating is possible they're going to be a They're going to demonstrate to the rest of the world that's dealing with a similar economic environment as El Salvador, that it is possible that you can break away from the IMF and that you can uh, do these things. And that's at the country level, right? When you get down into the the lower levels, like the local jurisdictions and the point to point between individuals inside of the country, that burden gets way easier. And that's where we're going to see it all uproot from. It's like, the people that are unbanked can now have these saleable instantaneously exchange units that that are infinitely better than their local currency that are you know they're hundred percent inflation against the dollar and, and likely Bitcoin uh, maybe more against Bitcoin depending on like the time frame you're using. And the more comfortable that they get with that in using it as an exchange, a trusted unit of an exchange. It's going to work its its way from the bottom up, and uh, that might take that might take a lot of time. It might actually occur really fast, depending on how you know nasty and disgusting the G seven credit markets get. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think you're getting you're getting the action from both both ways. You're getting it from the from the G seven credit markets are so disgustingly bad that it's that it's uh, causing total dis- distrust in the system itself, and so you're getting a lot of action that way. And then you're also getting it from just the unbanked world of uh you know that they have an incentive to start denominate or to conducting exchange in these units that are so easy to to exchange.
0: And again, Bukele uh he's he's facing down such a as Gladstein pointed out, like the IMF and the World Bank, they will go to great lengths to make sure the right people are in power to make sure that they accept those loans when they come knocking in, yeah. you know, right. So now they yeah. face this, this guy that, and so we have this narrative, right. That he's becoming a dictator because he's trying to run again and, you know, rewrite the constitution of how many years a president should be able to serve a term. That's going to be in a very easy narrative for them to push as him being, you know, seen as a tyrant, whereas he knows the only way to give this thing some breathing room and actually escape from the clutches of the imf is to wait for that pendulum to start spring, swinging yeah. back the other way and see the true power of bitcoin so it's yeah. such an interesting case study at this, this exact point in history and we're going to, to be see a it.
2: very this is going to be a very controversial statement but I don't know how else to to put it. So, if a dictator is in charge of a country and they actually care about their people, and all their decisions are for the best interest of their people and not themselves personally, there, I mean, that would be a successful uh, way to to for the com- for the country to operate because the people are the are are the best interest, right? Those decisions that are being made are in the best interest of the people. Um, the challenge with with that over time is hubris and ego typically doesn't allow that to ever occur right because especially with, you know, let's say you get one leader who's not like that they actually care about their people and want what's best for them and then the sun comes in and is the next dictator or whatever like the hubris sets in so quickly that it's in human nature demonstrates this time and time again throughout history that that Um, within a very short duration of time, the hubris will take over and then it all be, it becomes about the person and the leadership and not the people. And that's why it always fails. And that's why it has such a negative connotation associated with the word dictatorship. Um, and let me be clear. I'm not for dictatorships (laughs) at all. Um, but I, I like to explore the left and right limits of an idea. And, and so like, let's say that there's a way that a dictatorship could be good. Well, that's the, it, it. You have to go upstream to the fundamental question. What makes something good? What makes something good is actual concern and interest and intentions of making the globe, the, the poppy. It's all about the population and not the individual. Um, When you look at a, democracy and you look at um elected officials being the st- step in the reason that it typically works really well is because it's all about the people or else they don't get reelected. but if you have unlimited term limits and you have uh this idea of voting money into one's district and you can continue to sit on in in the seat forever some of these ideas can get mutilated and destroyed. And, and what we just described with the dic- dictator, which is it becomes all about them and not about the, the regions that they represent. Well, you're kind of in a, in the same situation, but in a collective, like, you know, if there's 435 people that are elected and 300 of them are selfish and egotistical and have been sitting in the seat forever collectively on a net basis you're kind of in a similar situation aren't you um and so i'm very hesitant to say whether bukele is bad or good i just think that it's important for people to ask instead of saying oh well he's trying to do this and he's trying to control and he's trying to not ever have another free and open election again and all that might be true i don't know but what really matters is, is his interest actually for the people, or is the interest for himself to, to be able to continue to be in charge of everything? And I don't know the answer to that. I don't think, I I think you'd be hard pressed to, to, for any outsider to really know what his true intentions are. And so I'm hesitant to, to make even a comment about it. Um, I think there should be free and open elections. But I also think that we need countries like El Salvador to adopt Bitcoin and demonstrate to the world that it can actually be done and that they can break away from the IMF, uh, World Bank, a do loop of enslavement.
0: Have you ever thought about um, that this idea of flag theory? Have you ever gone down that rabbit hole? Is that something? No. no? Uh, the, the idea of having a, a second passport or a, a country... You know, to get to very, very quickly if you needed to under some kind of a residency program or something. I I
2: personally haven't, but I I don't think it's a bad idea.
0: Mm-hmm. Just because you know times have been weird this last mm-hmm. uh, two or three years. For it seems to have settled down a little bit. Still not you know crazy for for us to come to Miami. We uh we are still expected to have um you know, injected certain things into our bodies, uh, or you buy a pass to to get over there, you know, that's still in place. That that that's that's crazy mm. to me that we're still at that point. Uh and obviously Bitcoiners around the world, they're they're very much looking at other options and and what to do and when to do it and how to implement it. Katie and Jess have got their their plan B passport um business running. Yeah. If if you haven't, you haven't, I just wanted to you know you know here as an American,
2: the the states have a lot of rights and um, you can vote with your feet here if you don't like the state you live in. Mm-hmm. We're already seeing states like Wyoming uh, and and others, Texas that are putting things in place like one of the things interesting with Wyoming, they just passed a law that you you cannot be forced to give up your private keys with Bitcoin. Like that's a fascinating local state law. Like if the, if the federal government here in the United States thinks they're going to come in and force people from that state to give up their private keys on things. I think they got another thing coming. We we've seen this with uh, the marijuana situation where like States like Colorado, like just went, you know, went to the federal government. And said screw you. This is, this is our laws in this state. And this is how things are going to work. And there's nothing you can do about it. I think, with bitcoin we have a we have the luxury as americans where there's going to be a competition at the state level and you have some states that are super liberal you have some states that are super conservative and you're going to have this this mix of some of them are going to figure out bitcoin and others like new york are not going to figure out bitcoin and um i guess that's where i I'm a little bit different than maybe some of the listeners that are outside the United States and how they're looking at this because they don't have this state optionality that they can kind of move around within. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, that, that might be the reason why I, I have the answer that I have.
0: That's a good point. You got like 50 countries in uh, you know one landmass, really. In a way, you, you kind of do, yeah. All right, cool. Uh, what is... The most bullish thing you've seen in the last three months with Bitcoin, <laughs> oh man, I don't know that I got a good answer.
2: Um I have recency bias with my answer. That's why I don't want to give it because <laughs> uh, I back to the uh, the bis the job uh, Java the Hut yep. yesterday naming that they have defeated Bitcoin. like when I see stuff like that, it's extremely bullish for me. <laughs> it's just <laughs> extremely bullish because I'm saying, oh my God, why don't you just tell us what nightmares you had last night? Because that's what that is. They're scared to death. Um, the fact that they're messaging that, that that fiat, literally the words fiat has defeated cryptocurrencies is just so laughable to me. Um, so, and, and, to, and for somebody at that level of where he sits in that organization to be saying this, I think is a very big deal, way bigger deal than people realize. Um, uh, the from a momentum standpoint, you know, long-term momentum, uh, moving average ATR type things are suggesting that the bottoms in whether it is or not, you know, I don't know that like, that's just, that's only using price as like a, as a, as a tool for, for saying something like that. So I don't put a lot of weight in it. Um, I do think that we're that they're running out of ways to sell bitcoin you know whoever we're up against uh, and when we look at ftx the fact that they had no bitcoin on their balance sheet just tells me that there there was a lot going on there that does not meet the eye that i'm extremely suspect of and i think that was that was a major tool that was being used to try to uh create distrust in the whole ecosystem and
0: and in particular but bitcoin specifically. Um do you find it strange the SEC took so long to move on that? Yes,
2: very much so. Hmm. And I think it's it's even stranger that Sam was up there having one-on-one meetings with Ginsler and, yep. and everybody else on the Hill. Um yeah I think it's I think the thing that if I was going to describe what I think, I think wall street wants to decapitate the, uh, the existing crypto exchanges, because I think, I think they're starting to figure out where this is all going. And I think that, from their vantage point they 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 need to protect their business model and what they need is they need to own these exchanges because they have all the technical competence and it's, and it's all established the technical piece is all established so they need to own that equity and so what i think they're doing is they're trying to litigate and use the government as their weapon to uh have all that equity that's that's owned from the Krakens, the Coinbases and all them to kind of be released from the existing shareholders into their hands so that they can then control the whole stable coin market and uh, still have a lot of uh, influence in the control of capital and and finance. So I think that's what we've been up against for the past year is, is that. And uh, I think they're using the SEC and I think they're using government as their weapon surprisingly interesting i I think they're the best lobbyists in the in in the entire world or in the u.s Mm -hmm. they're the best lobbyists that you got are are all the wall streeters uh to get exactly what they want and from the politician's standpoint like they're just going to be paid off by the by the wall street elite to get what they want with respect to the laws and and what gets passed and who gets who gets hurt and who who gets i mean look at caitlin look at what caitlin dealt with you can't tell me this system's fair at all it's not fair do you do you want to tell the listeners what Caitlin Caitlin long had to um I'm not well versed on the on the whole like inside story but I I mean she's trying to stand up her own Fdic insured bank and and I mean you talk about a person that's crossed every T and dotted every I, mm-hmm. only to be de- declined over and over again to the point where it's so it, it's illegal what's happened but if she took it to any type of court I, I don't think that it would I think she would continue to get just totally screwed by the existing system and, and the government. Yeah. Like it's it's so corrupt, so insanely corrupt. She has a thread on it. You know, I, I've uh-huh. reposted the thread. People can go there and read the, the nuances of it. But
0: you, it, it will all be revealed to you in about the first 40 or 50 pages of that book, The Secrets of the Federal Reserve. I'll have to DM Caitlin and make sure she uh, picks up a copy. But on this idea of um, cracking down on the crypto exchanges, Fun little factoid, uh, Kraken, right? They were fined 30 million, 31, 32. I can't remember the exact number. It's right in there. Uh, And Jesse Powell kind of fired a shot back at uh, Gensler uh, for a bit of uh, Bitcoin Twitter fun. And I asked him, because I've always wondered, where do the fines go? So I tweeted back at Jesse. I'm like, who did you actually write the check to? Who collects this money? Okay, mm-hmm. fine. The SEC fine you, thirty mil. Where does the thirty mil go? So he said it goes to the treasury. Had to write a check to the treasury. Where mm-hmm. <laughs> the treasury? Okay. Let Let's see. Where is their bank account? Because where are they going to go cash that check? It's mm-hmm. the New York Federal Reserve. Mm-hmm. So that's what's going on. Well, here. I like it, think you, th- I think the bigger piece
2: is if you're if I'm J P Morgan. Mm -hmm. And I want to, and I want to pop the equity out of Jesse's hands. How do I do it? How do I, I get him served with some type of litigation that he can't afford to pay that. And and, and, in this particular case, he can pay that. I I think that Kraken doesn't have an issue paying that. Some of the other entities that this, this mechanism is going to be continually used against. So let's, let's hit them with this liability that they have to pay they have to sell shares to come up with the funds they have to get themselves highly indebted to pay that they've got this enormous uh issue with respect to all the ethereum that they've got to unstake mm-hmm. right and and paying out of pocket with retained earnings in order to make good for all their clients to quote unquote unstake the eth that's unstakeable right so um that's how that's how you do it is you is you do it in this convoluted indirect kind of way to have them keep releasing shares of their equity which means they don't have control and guess who's gobbling it all up and then if they if they then have control on the board well then they can do all sorts of things that um is out of the mainstream thing that's easily digestible by the normal person picking up a newspaper and reading it um it it becomes lost in mm-hmm. the con- in in the complexity for your normal person that that's not really even interested in any of this stuff um i think that so that's the play from wall street that's how corrupted the government is in cahoots with uh wall street now my frustration with the with the people that have been in this space for more than a decade or for a decade that were here on the scene at the beginning that stood up these exchanges uh like Coinbase, Brian Armstrong, and many others, is how can you possibly take Ethereum units, allow people, you to stake them on their behalf, fully knowing that there is no technical solution that exists to unstake their coins? How can you do that with a straight face and have the best interest of your customers without being just corporate greed and selfishness like it disgusts me it disgusts me that you have people that that supposedly came into this space to change the world with with money that's revolutionary that can't be debased and they're parasites they're freaking parasites like how dare you Do this to the to the per and you know what everybody's got to go out there and do their own research. Like if you're too stupid to not know that the that the coins that you're staking are unstakeable, that there's no technical solution in place, and there might not ever be, like I'm sorry, you deserve to lose all your buying power. You do. Um, So that too, like both of them, idiots. Like do your own research. but I'm very frustrated with the leadership of some of these organizations because they just put their their revenues that they could collect that they're sucking off of the the payment in another coin um, for all those years. Like the the Ethereum 2 wasn't even released and they're paying out coins on Ethereum 2 from people that ex, that had staked Ethereum. Like it is such a cesspool mm-hmm. that surrounds Bitcoin. It's it's no wonder it's so hard to understand it because there's so many distractions and complexity and, and liars. Um, that, you know, I, I just, I lose a lot of respect for people and I don't know that if it's, I don't know that it's because they just don't have the intellectual, uh, ability to understand this, or it's, they're so blinded by their own greediness that, uh, they can't see. And maybe it's a little bit of both, but boy, we need good actors in this space and we need good educators in the space to help people see the lies um and, and
0: they're so bountiful out there but yeah we gotta we gotta stick gemini in there and, and what cameron and tyler yeah, are doing. Oh, yeah. It's just shocking yeah it's disgusting and so. cz i mean cz looked like a little hero for a while because yeah i'm gonna be the one that takes down ftx and but like <laughs> Binance really it's yeah. it's all the same shit yeah
2: I I don't, I don't get it. Um, and I, I think people should be able to do what they want with their money. And I, and I'm, you know, hardcore take responsibility. And if you fall on your face because you tried to do something really risky, well, so be it. Um, but to enable it, uh, is, is, the issue that I have to provide a staking service when there's no solution to unstake is just laughably disgusting and parasitic
0: have we seen the end of the the lending ideas do you remember you and i we i think god last time we spoke it, it was just kind of breaking we were kind mm-hmm. of like um spitballing ideas like how's this going to work how are you mm-hmm. going to get um uh you know uh, interest or yield on on bitcoin is there yeah. ever going to be a, a good service for that and BlockFi obviously were the poster child for many months. <laughs> Probably a good year, I would say. They they were like, you know, very heavily marketing their product, and and that's fallen flat on its face. Um wh- where do you think that goes now? My concern with that, and people can go
2: back and listen. I, hell, I said it in the conversation with Zach Prince. I said it in a conversation with uh oh, what's his name? Uh Oh. Parabola. Oh, yeah. Who uh, you need? Jason uh, Williams. Jason, yeah. Um I said it with Jason Williams. Um my concern has always been that they were mixing uh individual retail deposits with institutional deposits. That was always always my concern with all of it. And so much so that I even told uh, some of the people at, at BlockFi when we were in Miami like two or three years ago, I said, "Why don't you create two different entities that help protect the retail deposits from the from the uh, the, the corporate deposits and the corporate actors?" And um, it was met on deaf ears. And so because my my issue was always this: the the corporate deposits and the corporate borrowers, their institutional books. Have enormous amounts of counterparty risk in legacy systems, and mm-hmm. so if we ever went through a credit event or a contraction like we've seen for the last year, what you're going to have is all that counterparty risk that's on the institutional books could spill into the entire organization. And even though your 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 customers are or your uh, your retail clients are over collateralized. They're going to still be impacted because of you and in, in mixing the institutional books yep. with the uh, with the retail clients, and they would have been and, obliged to rebalance as well, right? It's yeah. Not, well, you're you just, know? you're you're taking people that are under collateralized, mm-hmm. who have enormous amounts of of counterparty risk, and you're mixing it with people that are over collateralized and shouldn't have any type of issue or concern with with default because mm-hmm. they're over collateralized and you're mixing them together. So it's basically like a, a consolidated debt obligation that we saw in the 2008 crisis where you're taking good to, you're you're taking good deposits and setups and you're mixing it with bad ones or ones that could quickly turn into bad ones because of their counterparty risk. Um and sure enough it blew up. And so and I did I did some interviews. I did an interview with Hoddle Hoddle and I talked with Adam back a little bit about this and I asked Adam I distinctly remember this I was like is peer to peer lending less risky than these uh, uh the block fives and, and the other ones and he says and he paused and he was like, yeah, I think they are and because that was and it was it was a bit of a leading question because if you're over collateralized in a peer-to-peer lending situation and the market is marked to market instantaneously 24 hours a day 365 days a year what's your risk mm-hmm. if you can litig- if you can uh, liquidate the the uh, escrow? There shouldn't be any risk, um, but but it has to be peer-to-peer. If you're mixing that with other people's loans and debts and they're not over-collateralized, well, there's your systemic failure point, right? So um, there's a reason I didn't have deposits uh, on these exchanges when they blew up. And it's because, I don't know, I saw that as somewhat obvious and, and understandable. Um but it it was, it was very interesting to cover it. Now where, and and I, I know I talked a lot about the contango trade, like when it, when we were in the boom and there was a, there was basically a risk free 10% premium to be captured by just uh, doing a uh, a derivatives play because of how much volatility and, and the, the, the direction of the trade. And I, you know, talked quite a bit about how this could make things become completely unglued if the price continued to to run i still believe that i still think that it's totally possible now so many of these borrowing and lending platforms have blown up i don't know what that's going to look like on the next run but you're going to get to a point somewhere in the timeline where bitcoin is going to start to run away there's going to be so much distrust in the legacy system And you're going to have derivatives that are going to only compound whatever direction it's going. We saw the same thing happen on the down move where the derivatives just amplify Mm -hmm. the sell-off. Yep. Um, that's what derivatives do is they, they have the ability to amplify the moves. Um, so like all that stuff is the same. Nothing's changed there. Um, but we're, we're in a different market environment on the underlying. And so you get a reset and then all, all the stuff gets repriced and uh, we get prepped and, and weak hands, uninformed hands, people who are stepping out on the risk curve further than they even understood. They lost their coins. They popped out of their hands and guess where they flew? They flew into really strong, smart hands. And that consolidation has happened for the last year. and that's what, And that is what sets us up for the next run. Because you're running out of coins, because they're all in the smart and, and and thoughtful, intelligent hands.
0: It's going to be There's so. Less, epic. Of
2: that, that, less of them on the market. Less of them on the
0: market. This next rip up is going to be so, so epic. It's. Oh yeah, it's, I agree with you. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to. Be, I think the last run was
2: actually kind of pathetic. I think. The, right. Compared to the 2017 run, Mm -hmm. uh, this last bull market was really pathetic. I think I agree with Caitlin. She called it when it happened, um, which was the head got caught off uh, through derivatives and through market manipulators, which was primarily FTX, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, So the move that we saw, I mean, I think 150K was totally in the cards on last move. If you didn't have bad actors uh, manipulating the market through uh, and some, I'm sure people are rolling their eyes hearing me say that, but that's fine. I, that's that's what I think. And I think Caitlin nailed it and she called it. Um, the fact that FTX didn't have any Bitcoin on their balance sheet, even though they had supposedly, I don't know how many deposits, how much they should have had, I think proves <laughs> that the market was manipulated. And that's why the had got cut off the bull market.
0: Um, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, well, I'm ready for it, mate. I cannot wait for it to happen because... At a real grassroots level, I know what that does to some people's lives, right? That releases some plebs who might have been holding Bitcoin for a cycle or a cycle or a half, is still doing their nine to five, still doing their three-hour commute, listening to podcasts like yours, like this one, like Ballas's. Uh, and I big shout out to Citizen Bitcoin Brady. I saw he's hung yeah. his boots up. He's hung his mic up. I saw yeah. his tweet today. Uh, and that that bought a... a a little pang of sadness to me because when i really started going down hard down the, the podcasting rabbit hole uh he was one of about five really him stefan Vallis. uh you hadn't started yours you were doing your tip which was uh another one i was listening to a lot for the macro stuff um Peter, obviously he was one of the originals and it's mm-hmm. uh it's sad to see that uh He's hanging his mic up, but look what look what that did for him! You know, he's mm-hmm. he, he was like employee number, I don't know three, four, or five at Swan Bitcoin, and look mm-hmm. what they've gone on to become. And this is yeah. I want. This is really what I want for the rest of the plebs because this is how we all just get stronger, releasing yeah. themselves from their fear drudgery, so they can go and work on what they want to work on in Bitcoin and really start adding value to this ecosystem. Yeah. Yeah. That's one thing I can say about
2: Corey is we were talking about all the exchanges earlier and just how much of a cesspool the exchanges have turned into and, uh, kudos to Corey. Like he's been calling this out for so long and just, um, he understood how much of a cesspool it was. He refused to participate in it and not only did he refuse to participate in it, but he did everything he could from an education standpoint to try to help people understand why. A lot of people didn't want to hear why a lot of people just wanted to believe that the lie was true. And, um, yeah, so I, I just want to give a shout out to Corey because he, he is a guy who ran an exchange and did it right, uh, with respect to just informing people that a lot of these things over here were just total scams.
0: 100%. All right, mate, I've got to ask you the last question. If you had one last orange pill, left to give to somebody, who would you give it to and why?
2: Uh, whoever has the biggest megaphone. Whoever <laughs> has... <laughs> Instead of naming a person, I'll describe what I what I would want the person to be like. Whoever has the biggest megaphone and becomes the biggest zealot possible on the idea, that's who I want to give it to. So like, you know, Michael Saylor is an amazing educator has a ton of influence, has a ton of buying power to, to, you know, the best way to, to really make Bitcoin successful is buy it, put it away forever and never put it back on the market. If you want Bitcoin to be successful, just do that. Um, so Michael does that and he does it in spades, And but I wish he had a bigger microphone and I I wish he had a bigger, uh, audience to, um, you know there's people out there that have 70 million followers and their their fans follow them like you know they'd follow them anywhere if we had a couple of those people that could actually not only support it but also uh evangelize why it's so important um and they actually understood on, on the education side and, and could explain it like in a way that maybe not the way Michael does it cuz i don't know that anybody can do it the way Michael does it but Um, that's what we need. And, uh, the more that we can get influential people like that to talk about it and, and share the idea, the faster that we're going to, to get the trust and adoption into it. Um, but for, for all the other normies out there, I consider myself in in that category. The, the, the thing, the only thing we can do is just go buy it, hold it and don't put it back on the market. And by doing that, we're literally sucking the monetary energy out of the legacy system like a soul sucker um, when you do that, that simple act of just buying and holding.
0: Do you remember your first answer to the question that I asked you? This is the third time. but I'm frustrated with him. So that's why I didn't say it. (laughs) I wanted to get an update on that, actually. So... But for the listeners that haven't listened to the first one, because I don't remember who you said the second time around, but the first time around was Ray Dalio and it was instant. It was one of the first, I think one of the only times I've asked that question and somebody come up with an instant answer. Uh, so well, what's, going, what's reason, going on with Ray? The reason I said Ray the first time is because the
2: only reason I found Bitcoin is because of Ray. right? Like if I really go like... Trace Mayer had a huge impact on me getting it and understanding yep. it, uh, like from from like the network effect kind of standpoint. Like as soon as I heard him kind of do his thing on the network effects, I was like, okay, this makes sense uh, of why this is going to be really powerful to stop. The seven but... steps, right? Was that what it was? Uh, yeah, remember... had, yeah, yeah. He had yeah. this amazing thing on network effects and how they were reinforcing over time. Um, but the real reason I. I was even looking for Bitcoin is because of Ray Dalio and his thesis on long-term credit cycles. And so I really have him to thank, to, to even grok any of this. Uh So, you know, for me, it would be, a, a, it would be, you know, a little sweet to be able to return the favor and orange pill him on the idea of Bitcoin. But, um, you know, for a guy that understands what he understands from a financial market standpoint um, I'm, I'm frustrated. I I don't know that he, that he's um, I, I don't know how to really put it, but I I, I think at this point at where we're at and what he knows about financial markets and what he could have learned about Bitcoin at this point for how many times people have brought it up to him. Um, I'm a little suspect in his, in his intentions on trying to understand it or even talk about it.
0: It is very strange. And again, you have to put your tin hat on and wonder what's really going on. Like, you know, something is so damn, nothing lines up. You can't be, you can't be in that, you can't be in charge of, of that many people's money. And You know, this is what we talk about with Andy all the time, like fiduciary duty. Where's your fiduciary duty to have gone down the rabbit hole with Bitcoin? If you have not done that, if you've done it and you don't get it, that's impossible with his mind. So he's well, not It's done impossible it. with his ethos too. His ethos yes. are to
2: to his dig principles as deep as humanly possible. Yeah, he's, he's wrote a children. book about it.
1: <laughs> right? mean, like
2: if you're truly going to dig in and truly understand something, and be relentless in your search for knowledge, which is his ethos and his principles and everything, right? Well, then you would have figured it out by now. But he, but he's not. So you have to ask yourself why and uh and you don't get real good answers at least i don't whenever i start exploring the why on that
0: mm-hmm.
2: so and a lot of I, people. i guess i'll just leave it at that so you know what you know back yep. when you asked me that question years ago um that was my answer and now today i i uh, whatever figure it out ray uh, i don't know what have to tell we
1: you.
0: have we slayed our heroes preston <laughs> i've <laughs> slayed a lot of, of i don't know that there's <laughs> any left. Um, <laughs> All right brother. Well, let's let's wind it up. It's been an excellent rip as always. Uh far too long in between each one of these. Um, yeah. True. You know, we we we'll, we'll do another one before year end for sure. I look forward to seeing you in Miami. Are you getting across this side of the pond at all for any of the conferences going on in Europe or are you going to be uh in the states only? I've got a lot
2: of conferences here in the states in the coming until like well, no, clear out to the end of the year. Um I don't like to travel too much just because the kids and everything, but, uh, yeah, I do need to make my way over there. I really do need to make my way over there and, and I am going to make my way over there. Um, yeah, I, it's funny. I was like going through all the the travel that I have in the coming year and it's literally every month I'm going somewhere and it's like, uh-huh. I just need to throttle, pull the, pull the power levers back a bit and just, uh,
0: it's difficult to say <laughs> no, isn't less. it? When when it you is. know you're going to get to hang out with Bitcoiners for a, a long yes. weekend.
2: And, I, and you just get so many friends through the space that, that you just really, you know, if you want to talk about heroes and people that I admire, it's really just kind of like a lot of my peers in this space and, and people that I've met just randomly at conferences and stuff like these people are amazing. They're insanely intelligent. They've got good ethics. They truly want what's best for the world and not just themselves. And like the, the community is who I admire. The community is, is I I wouldn't want to be anywhere else than in this space right now, because it's, it's humbling to be in the presence of, of all these people.
0: It really is. Oh man, I'm so glad you said that. Uh, it would have said, you know, I, I was kind of just, uh, just falling asleep the other night and i just had this wave of emotion of positivity come over me and just realized that i have never been in such a good place uh as you just described and it yeah. just gives me such a good feeling every single day i mean some people listening to this thinking oh this is us doing our work like this is just two bitcoiners yeah. hanging out talking for an hour and a half We'd discussing be doing, big yeah. ideas right <laughs> i'd know? be
2: doing it even if it, nobody was listening yeah uh, uh, yeah yeah and, and when we start and when I started there, there weren't many people listening. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was your family and friends listening. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think people that would listen to some of my comments about the legacy system would think that I'm a, like a pessimist, mm. but dude, I am bursting at the seams with, with optimism on where this is all going going like this is going to be so beneficial for the world and the trans the transition might be a little messy and difficult but what comes out on the other side of all this is so like it is so beneficial relative to where we sit today um and going back to lauren's question like why am i so excited about it? it's because it gives everybody a fair shot it's a fair system (laughs) it's like there's no cheating anymore There's no, uh, and and the irony is, is like the, the team, like a basketball team example, like Mm -hmm. you got like these, these ignorant, short, little like shits that are just like on the court and they're winning every game. Right. And they're playing against like these, these like behemoths that should win every game uh, from like a moral, ethical, like just human standpoint, and they're the ones that are losing every game because they got these these idiots that are paying the refs, and the rules are rigged, and just like so, it's going to be really exciting to see the the tide change, and the pendulum ultimately swing start to swing the other way.
0: I never thought it happened, but I, 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 I think I just heard you say a swear word there. <laughs> that. that. <laughs> That's four and a half hours of the once bitten show, where I never thought I'd hear it, and I've got <laughs> God knows how many times I've listened to your voice on your other podcasts as well. So, this one, this one might, this one you gotta bleep it out. You gotta bleep it out. I run a no edit business over here, Preston. <laughs> I'm sorry, like you know, <laughs> you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to own that one. All right, it's yeah, been no, a great, it's Rip. It's been man. fun, man. Yeah. yeah, it's been awesome. Take care, brother, and I will see you in Miami. Yep, for sure. Can't wait. See you, mate. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening, and thank you again, Preston, for coming back on the show and everything that you do within the Bitcoin space. Your own podcast has helped so many people make better financial and investment decisions not only on the investors podcast but of course your offshoot of that which is your bitcoin only podcast if you've not listened to that one go and check it out with Preston he has some amazing guests on I'm sure you'll know all of the names by now but uh, with every different person there's a different line of questioning there's a different line of thought that's why we need more content in this space it is not oversaturated we're just getting started so Go say hi to Preston as well if you are going to head over to Miami. If you want a 10% discount on your tickets to get to Miami, simply use the code BITTON at checkout. And the same in Prague. If you go to btcprague.com, you can use the code BITTON at checkout to secure that discount. I believe Preston is going to be at both. Uh, Just double check on Prague, whether he's going to be there or not. I can't uh, confirm that. Now, if you want to get to Liberty in Our Lifetime, which is coming up the end of the year in October, as I said at the beginning of the show, that's put on by Free Cities Foundation, and it focuses on parallel structures. Really great event. Had a lot of fun there last time. Met some great people. Usual code, bitten. Put it in as you check out and get a 10% discount. HODL HODL. They have their... Baltic Honey Badger conference coming up. I cannot get you any discounts, nor can anybody else. They're going to sell out. That's just the way of that. 3rd of September is when that is going to go down. So get your tickets booked, get your flights, get your hotels, and just make it happen. It's a brilliant event and something you definitely want to be a part of. You can also use Hoddle Hoddle for peer to peer global trading, KYC free, and their peer to peer lending platform as well. Of course, around Europe you can use coin corner and relay to stack your sats and to onboard your your merchants to start using Bitcoin and to get that private white glove service if you need it from relay in particular swan Bitcoin Preston is very closely affiliated with swan as well you can use swanbitcoin.com forward slash bitten to get yourself ten dollars and you can also download their app and start stacking sats directly with swan and get that white glove service and change your retirement fund and your ira into bitcoin with the help of the team at swan wasabi wallet as you know up your privacy something very important for you to start learning about a coin join service could be the exact thing you are looking for it's free to download the wallet obviously there's a charge every coin join you do but test it out and see if that's a service that you want to continue using. WasabiWallet.io Now, shiftcrypto.ch forward slash bitten. Ominously, I've run out of music here, but this is the most important point, And I hope many of you have listened to the end. A hardware wallet or a signing device is what is going to keep your Bitcoin the safest. Cold storage. Get a device. Create a wallet. Write down your words. Make sure you've got a backup stashed away safely somewhere and take control. This is what it is all about. Get your Bitcoin off the apps, off the exchanges, even the ones I've just mentioned. They do not want to hold your Bitcoin, not your keys, not your coins. This is what the ethos of Bitcoin is all about. If you have not got yourself a hardware wallet, if you do not have Bitcoin in cold storage, you are behind the game, that is your red flag FOMO warning to get yourself a signing device. Go to shiftcrypto.ch forward slash Bitten and use the code Bitten to get a 5% discount. All the links are in the show notes to any of these other Bitcoin companies that are out there offering you discounts. You can hit that up on Vida or you can find that on Linktree as well. And just click through any one of those links Apply the, count, uh, apply the coupon code BITTON and you'll get a 5 to 10% discount. It doesn't matter if that's T-shirts or books or whatever else, uh, the Shamory games, for example. Uh, and Shamory have got a, a new thing coming out soon as well for uh, Bitcoin education. Anyway, enough rambling. Thank you again, Preston, for coming on. It was great to hang out and look forward to seeing any of you plebs that make it across to Miami. Come say hi. I'm looking forward to it. Take care, stack safe, catch you on the next show.